They were called nasties and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen the video, Mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film. And welcome back to another episode of Doing the Nasty Podcast. This is season number two, episode number 27. I'm one of your two hosts on the show. Joining me as always is my good buddy, Mark Ball. How's it going, Mark? Hey, Duncan. It's good to be back on Doing the Nasty. Uh, we're, we're running a little late with this recording. Uh, March was March was kind of an insane fucking month. And Just April isn't looking... April's not looking a whole lot better. So, no. yeah, this... This one's running a little late. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully, we get time. We can record the other episodes so the listeners get yeah. two two of these in April. But uh, yeah, we got uh, we got well w- one fairly standard thing to talk about tonight, and one that uh, I am fairly certain in saying I probably never would have fucking watched if it wasn't for this show. Yeah. I, I, I agree a lot I didn't even know of his existence so um, and I would say sometimes ignorance is bliss so yeah um, you, you're seeing that like April well, we may as well just like like get like down dirty and personal as well with this um, we're about to hit summer series prep as well so oh, yeah. um, which isn't going to be as intensive as previous years but once again the scheduling for this show if we get one out a month i'll be very 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 happy if it looks like one month you don't get one and then the following month you get two i'm just gonna say you get this show for free so fuck off Uh, (laughs) you got no right to complain (laughs) right uh, yeah like mark alluded to there in his intro uh we have two wildly different movies to discuss on this episode for you we will be partaking and a little bit of smut, um, which I know some people out there, there's an eyebrow just lifted and maybe something else. Um, <laughs> you, can, you never know. We'll be doing the new adventures of Snow White, a.k.a. Grimm's Fairy Tales for adults. And then we'll be following that movie up with a lesser known, because obviously that's the heavy hitter of this episode, uh, a lesser known slasher movie. I mean, you have to dig far down the pile of slashers to find Friday the 13th which is another <laughs> maybe one you've of, heard of it it's another one of these movies where I'm like that I mean we'll discuss it you ain't getting a full review of it because there's nothing that me and Mark can even remotely cover in this that hasn't been recovered in the thousands of hours of podcast out there already covering this fucking movie so um, we'll, we'll maybe dig into a little bit more about its graphic nature and is it all that graphic so yeah that could be that could be a bit of fun. It gets gets us talking about Savini, and we've already covered Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. We back on episode number six, so yeah, it's, it's fresh in our memories. Interestingly enough, the only two Friday the Thirteenth movies to make any version of the Nasties list, and I would say with a degree of confidence here, by the time the Nasties list was created. Part four, so much more violent than this. <laughs> like, so, so much more violent. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, but by, by the time, I'd say, like, probably when, like, part either... Five is pretty violent, too, but definitely by the time part six comes out, 
I think the BBFC was just like, you know what? The MPAA is doing a great job of chopping the fuck yeah. out of these movies. We'll just leave it to them. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah, that by might time be part of why there's yeah. these two, I think. Yeah, by the time they're coming over, they're already censored. So um, we're, we're getting, we are getting the cut-down version of it, which, like you say, from their point of view, makes their job easier. Um, so, yeah, that's what we're going to be doing on this episode. As always, up front, we will just catch up with where we are. Um, I, in the interim, went away and did the Fright Fest. It was, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was... How, how was that? Uh, interesting, <laughs> being back in a a cinema full of people for two days um i bet that was weird was just a little bit i was there with the with, with big sexy scott and liam um which which did make it kind of cool uh it was just kind of mostly the three of us though um liam's soon-to-be wife uh she had contracted i think covid for the third time and it had kind of morphed into pneumonia so, Holy shit. Yeah, so she was ill. Um, and <laughs> Scott recently had a kid. So left his wife at home to look after the baby. Um, <laughs> which I would moan about, but I did exactly the same. Uh, so um, <laughs> right. no, no place to no, no place to make comments or conversations. The movies uh, are kind of hodgepodge. I did see a couple of movies that I thought were fucking incredible. A couple of movies that I thought were okay, uh, and at least two movies that I thought were not great to shit. Um, so just That's re- usually how it goes. Yeah, j- just to recap, the, the ones that I was very high on, um, the one that stole the whole show for me was Freaks Out. Um, Freaks Out is an Italian movie. It's kind of... Uh, it's kind of... It's not out and out horror per se. It's kind of fantasy fairy tale with a with a smidge of horror. It, it does hold the accolade of being the most expensive production Italian movie of all time, and it fucking looks it, man. As is absolutely, I mean, it looks it, it, the way I described it was. Imagine watching the Adventures of Bar Munchausen, but directed by Guillermo del Toro. And that's kind of what it's like, uh, but also set in Nazi-occupied Italy, um, and it's fucking mind blowing. I like I if I could have if I could have applauded it harder, I would have during the viewing. It kind of floored me. I thought it was incredible. Um, other ones to check out. Some like it rare. It's a kind of French horror comedy cannibal movie. It is very 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 funny. Very slapstick. Very good. Um, a movie which will probably fly under the radar for a bit before it gets a decent release um, is Mandrake. It's an uh, Irish horror movie. It was really, really good. Uh, you Are Not My Mother, which is now available, um, which is another Irish horror movie. So that was on the good side. On the bad side, um, that new Christina Ricci movie, that monstrous one, uh, which is going to be hitting the States in May, piece of shit <laughs> like, ah, that's get... disappointing I love her she's really good in it she's really really good in it and it's got a 50s aesthetic that she's perfectly suited for and she's, she's good at that but it's just a movie that I would be very surprised if within five minutes of watching the movie Mark you haven't kind of clued into what's happening and then it's just tedious to the end it's just like ah. it's not, not very good you know it actually infuriated me quite a bit um a movie which you will have to try and track down because it's one of the worst things I've seen in a long time. A movie called The Ledge. 
Right. Okay. The Ledge is directed by Howard G. Ford. Uh, Howard G. Ford directed a fucking great zombie movie about a decade ago called The Dead. Which, oh yeah, I remember yeah, that. Loved the dead. Um, he did also make that the sequel, The Dead India, whatever it was, and that was shit. Uh, and turns out he's kind of the best thing about it was he was there to do the Q and A. And I'll set up the I'll set up the kind of the premise here. It's basically imagine cliffhanger, right? <laughs> but okay. right, but it's 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 a woman trying to escape douchebag Americans who are chasing her up this vertical cliff race in Italy uh, and they're a little bit rapey um, and it has maybe some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard in a fucking movie that has been made after like <laughs> 1983 um, it's just it's just a bad movie and of course it's, it's hilariously bad so everyone was laughing and then the director come bouncing out director by the way clearly on cocaine like he was, he was, he was fucking high as fuck, right? And um, he sat down, and the very first thing he said was, uh, "You know, it was, was kind of interesting reaction. I wasn't expecting as much laughing during this. Was his first like, this is the first time he'd been played in front of a live audience for him. Oh boy! And he he just misread the tone completely, and he wasn't smart enough to do the Tommy Wiseau thing." Which is oh, it was always supposed to be a comedy, um, no. And then he very quickly tried to be like, well, you know, it's not my script. I didn't write it. I was a gun for hire. Yeah, oh the editor boy. changed all these things. I didn't. Do it. Yeah, it was just it was it was absolute train wreck in the best fucking possible way. So yeah, that was uh, that was that was a ton of fun. And there were some other movies in there that were uh, they're mostly all getting pushed. Uh, the the last one, which will be making its way to Shudder this month which was The Cellar that's um, that's what it closed out on and it is a painfully average horror movie that um, it's clearly influenced by the Beyond and Hellraiser but not as good as either one of those movies um, uh. I think a lot of people will see it and I think if you see it and you've never seen Hellraiser or The Beyond you will probably think it's a great movie but if you've seen either one of those you'll just be like <sighs> I could have just watched those movies. I just, I'd much rather watch those movies. So yeah, that was, that was, that's, that's been me. Um, freaks out when it lands though. Everyone has to see that movie it is fucking insane. How just original it was. It just, it just kind of floored me. I've, I've never seen, never seen a movie like that before. And it looks like, like I say, it looks like Marvel money was being spent on it as well. I it just it, it kind of, and I was like, on this movie, on his genre out and, this is where they funneled their money. Amazing. Um, what about yourself, Mark? You've clearly had a, a very quiet month and a bit since our last book to you. Nothing's happened. Nothing at all. Yeah, de- definitely nothing's happened. No, no medical procedures. No, uh, hopefully, changes in fucking employment here mm. very, very soon. Like tomorrow, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I've been, man, I've been. I've been watching quite a bit of stuff, but I've also been like plugging away on the fucking music as best as I can. Yeah. Uh, the, the album is like almost done, and it's really fucking good. And uh, yeah, I'm hopefully playing some live shows like starting next month, which is going to be interesting. So nice. uh, yeah, that's that's going to be exciting. 
As far as stuff I've watched, um, I rewatched Army of Darkness a couple nights ago because I've been. <laughs> I, I went back through the the Bruce Campbell autobiographies on Audible. I fucking love those so much. That's mm-hmm. that's comfort food stuff for me. Uh, and yeah, Army of Darkness is like a movie I will never never say a bad single bad thing about. Obviously, uh, I stumbled across Evil Dead Trap which i think is on it's on shutter and it's on Screambox. box and yeah. i've heard of it for years and years and it's like i don't know what the fuck this movie is I, <laughs> I, for a long time i think i thought that it was like an unofficial it was like the zombie thing in italy mm-hmm. only it was like a, a japanese you know unofficial sequel to evil dead not really it really doesn't have anything to do with the evil dead movies there's a couple little like kind of homages to like Evil Dead 2, but there's also homages to about a thousand other things in this movie. Oh, like yeah. It's really just a huge hodgepodge of just like ideas borrowed from like tons of other movies. That's and that's not saying that's a, like uh, in a bad way. Like I actually like had a lot of fun with it. It's, it's extremely fucking batshit. It's super gory, has tons of fucking gnarly kills in it and has a super fucking crazy pants ending like uh i had a lot of fun with it it's it's definitely worth checking out if you've never seen it just don't expect it to have anything to do with the evil dead movies um what the fuck else uh a couple days ago i watched that tony hawk documentary that just came out on hbo oh Uh, that's getting great reviews it's really fucking sad i was not expecting it to be as like grim and dour as it is but apparently that dude's lived kind of a weird life and uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty sad. I I, I really enjoyed it. I, I love you know anything about you know skateboarding and punk culture and stuff like that. Like stuff that I just missed the boat on just barely. Yeah. Uh, like as it was happening. Like this was all a couple couple years before I was born. Um, let's see what else did I watch? Uh, we we had a watch party at a friend's house where we watched Alligator a little while ago. <laughs> oh, nice. Which is uh, way better than the title would have me believe. Uh, had you never I, seen I, it before? I had never seen it before. Oh, and dude, it's, man, yeah, it's great. It's, I mean, thankfully, I waited until there's a gorgeous fucking Blu-ray of that out right now. Like that, that Blu-ray makes that movie looks like look like it was shot yesterday. I mean, aside from from aside from some dodgy effects, uh, if if animal violence and hearing and seeing about uh, cute puppy dogs getting fucking killed and fed to sewer alligators bothers you, you might want to steer clear, but. <laughs> Other than that, I had a fucking blast with it. Um, oh, fucking X, dude. We got to talk yeah. about X. I, yeah. I have not talked about X on any any podcast. Absolutely fucking loved it. Holy yeah. shit, it was so good. That is Ty West's best movie by a country fucking mile. I, I, like to, I spoke about it with um, Bo last week. There's a, there's a thing. I, I don't know what it is necessarily and I don't necessarily even think it's horror fans per se but I think we are we were spoiled for such a long period of time with film directors that when they got to a certain age, when the masters of horror the quote unquote masters of horror um, started kind of losing their shine started making less movies or not being able to finance movies um, I think the, the 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 horror industry then started putting undue pressure on other directors. The new guys. Yeah, but right. I, I, when you think about it, see when Wes Craven released like Last House on the Left or The Hills of Eyes, there was no one sitting there going, he is the future of horror. You know what I mean? That's not what people were saying by then. It wasn't until he was like comfortably doing things like Nightmare on Elm Street that people were like, this Wes Craven's actually a 
really fucking good director. John Carpenter's exactly the same. Like, I, I think people forget that Halloween was his sleeper hit. Yeah. And by that point, he was already, you know, a good four or five years into his career. He'd, he'd already made a fucking... He'd made the, the Elvis biopic. So, you know what I mean? It's like... It wasn't until he was hitting things like Escape from New York and The Fog, you know, in movie number five, six, that people were going, you know what, this John Carpenter, real fucking good director. So, right. I, you know, what, like, Ty West had that flow on him on movie number two. So he'd done The Roost, which most people have not fucking seen. Um, yeah, I've never seen. It's, a sm- it's so much fun. Uh, it's a small, cheaply made indie horror kind of quirky throwback movie and it's a ton of fun and then you know he went away and made you know his his movie that would put him on the map um at the end of the decade so at the end of the 2010s 2009 i think um and right there that's when people were like oh you know what you know he is the new face of horror cinema <laughs> and I'm like, it's, it's his first proper studio movie and you're already putting that on him and this was off the back of, uh, you know, the industry saying that Rob Zombie was, Eli Roth was, and the list uh, was on and fucking on. Great. Yeah, like, we just, like, on movie one, we had to assign them that value. And I actually think if you look back, uh, like, Ty West to me hasn't actually, and I've not seen his Western movie, so I will stress that, but he hasn't actually made a bad movie. In fact, he's, he's made surprisingly great movies. Like when you consider that he's one of those guys that come out of that mumblecore movement and and all the rest within the the genre. So I, I mean, like I, I you know I had I had issues with the sacrament when it came out and it was mostly in hindsight now mostly silly. My issues with the sacrament was that that movie goes out its way to tell you that it's not based in anything that's happened and it's kind of original when it's clearly Jonestown, right? Yeah. But Which might I have thought, been a legal thing. Yeah, but then, I don't know. I, I don't know, but, I don't but know. then I was thinking, I moan about the other thing. You know what I mean? I, I hate movies that say based on a true story, and it's clearly fucking not, and that's overused. So oh, all yeah. I did was invert true. that. So why am I why am I angry about that? I, I just, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I, don't, I, I got over it like fairly quick. I don't think that was his best movie, but I do think it has great performances, and there is a kind of... An interesting what would happen if you were at you know ground level you know with cameras and all the rest you know, it's almost like what would have happened if we'd had a full report when everything started going south in Jonestown so, so I you know I've come I've come to appreciate that X to me is I mean he's been away for a while he's been working on TV he's got that A24 money um and he's went away and done, and it's so like, like once again, the the marketing behind it. I know why they did it, but it's very lazy to say it's Boogie Nights meets the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's not really either of those. Uh, you know no, what I mean? It not deals, really. It deals with the the uh, you know, it's it's porn related, right? But Boogie Nights isn't just a porn related movie. It's like no. actually, it's a character study, and then you know, like, well, it's it's two creepy old people that live in a house in, in a field in the middle of Texas. Must be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's just so lazy, but what it was was fresh, really, really, really well done, surprisingly gory, surprisingly witty, 
Um, nothing that I haven't seen before, but one of those ones where you're sitting watching it in a cinema going like that. If, you know, this doesn't feel like it's the most remarkable movie made this year, but also does make me wonder how, how so many directors can get this formula fucking wrong. You know what I mean? This is you know what I mean? At its basics, this is not doing anything like hugely remarkable, which means anyone should be able to do it. And that that's where I get the appreciation for Ty West because if this was so easy, then there'd be a million of these movies of this quality. And then the fact that he himself has kind of done the unthinkable, like he's got a prequel to this movie coming out. It's filmed. It's all shot. And this is you know the only movie that A24 have ever done which will have any form of prequel or sequel in their 10 years as a studio. So, right. I think that's, you know, I think that is is just kind of cool. I, like, I thought it was, I had an absolute blast with it from start to end. Bring on that prequel. I can't wait to watch it. I know he's talking about a trilogy and Phil, give him the money. He's, he's, a, he's, he's another guy who I think the time away has been good i think that sort of like taking that pressure off you know letting letting the industry like hyper fucking focus on everyone else and then come back and just remind people that actually fundamentally you're a fucking really good filmmaker has done nothing but make me smile so yeah i I thought it was a great movie yeah i i I agree with everything you just said it it, it pulls off the horror stuff was just like absolutely flawlessly like and effortlessly I think the one the one thing that really struck me too is like it, it actually has like a little bit of deepness in the middle of it where it's like, hey, you know, getting old really fucking sucks and is like really 100%. sad and really hard for people. And I was like really struck by that. I wasn't expecting that in a movie like that. And it does that really well too. I was like, oh shit, this actually like gave me something to think about. It's not just like a cheesy popcorn horror movie. Well, like it, it, that it does both. Yeah, you've got that dual performance as well of the what's her name? I guess it Mia Goth. Is that her name? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's playing both the you know the younger version and the old lady in that as well, which I think is. Which I didn't realize until after I'd seen it. I, I was convinced those were two different actresses. Yeah. I, I figured the older lady was probably a younger lady done up in makeup just yeah. so they could abuse her a little bit more than like an actual old lady but yeah i had no idea well that's what the, that's that you know this is the genius of the prequel so she's going to play her in the prequel which makes yeah perfect fucking sense although yep. the the america i believe in america you got the old after credit sequence we did yes in scotland we didn't so that's lame so like we're getting ready to go in the bazes with me and i'm like baz we're and we went to a late show and as well I'm like we're not going there's an after credit scene because I knew about the after credit and I knew that it, it was a prequel to it and I, but I didn't know the content I was like we're sitting here and uh, it's trundling through it's trundling through <laughs> and I can feel the Baz starting to get very angry with me and he's like that McLeish there better be a fucking after credit I'm like the internet is full of the after I know there is and then it got to the end and then the lights come on and like if looks could kill I would have been dead several times over. <laughs> and then I started doubting myself, and I was like, is this someone playing a practical fucking joke on me? So at, like, half two in the morning, I had to screenshot a thing that I found online that said there should have been an after credits. So I don't know why that didn't play in Scotland, but it didn't. So, yeah, that's weird. Motherfuckers. Um, but, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. It's great to see him back as well. Um, and it's great to know that we won't have a huge amount of time to wait 
before we get another tie west e24 out and the, I, i've said before i will say it again e24 i know there's a lot of people out there rolling their eyes Duncan's such an e24 lover and all the rest that studio has been in existence for 10 years i believe this year 10 years and look at the portfolio of genre stuff they put out yeah, their, their output is fucking incredible. You can't fucking deny that. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, like, you, you take it this year alone. Um, you've got X has just come out. The Northman is about to drop. Oh, God, I can't wait. I, I honestly, it's supposed to be out in uh, in the UK on Friday. Uh, but there's still no tickets available for it, like uh, for any showings or any Jones listed, which is like my, my testicles are tightening every time I see a picture. Of it. I'm like, oh, I need to go like that. So you've got that. Um, you've got that slasher movie that they've got coming out in, what, I think it's May? They've got like an actual full out kind of kind of fun looking slasher movie coming out. Um Ari Aster's movie is also supposed to be out this year. Uh, the Disappointment Boulevard with Joaquin Phoenix. Um, so that's also supposed to be out this year. So just what you kind of thought, you know what? Uh, we, we get one or two movies a year from the... No, no, no. Like They've got a ton of stuff dropping this year in the genre side of things and it all looks fucking great. Can't wait, man. Yeah. Cannot wait. Let's talk about things that are not... Um, as good as anything we've just talked about. Uh, we're we're going to have to get to this. I'll be honest with you, but like, had I decided to take a page of notes for this, um, it wouldn't have been more than a couple of lines. I think we're going to zip right through this one pretty fast. Yep. Uh, yep. We are going to take a short break. You're going to hear the learned folk from the Video Nasties documentary talk a little bit about um, <laughs> the adventures of Snow White, a.k.a. Grimm's Fairy Tales for adults from 1969. See what I did there? Oh, cheeky, cheeky. Um, you also nice. Hear, I know, I know. It's like, it's like a hardcore fucking mark. <laughs> I don't even know why I said that. Uh, right, you're, you're going to hear you're going to hear them talk about it. You're going to hear the trailer assuming there is one. And then we'll talk about our viewing experiences with this one. I, did, I didn't partake of the Tony Casey's version of this one. This is actually available on Amazon Prime over here. But it is, sure. I will say, just a VHS rip. <laughs> Someone's put up on Amazon. And it was, I'd, like, I felt sleazy watching <laughs> Like, just the rip was fucking horrible. Reminded me of those kind of hand-me-down, you know, like multiple copied over VHS porn tapes you used to get when you were a teenager uh, you buy yep. off your mate yep. uh, kind of that quality it was amazing uh, right so we're going to be back to discuss that movie right after this so the next film we have is The New Adventures of Snow White and in America it was released as Grimm's Fairy Tales for Adults it's got a lot of different actresses that people may find familiar Eva Steyer who was in three James Bond films it also has Gabby Fuchs from Mark of the Devil, and it also has Marie Lilladale, who played Eugenie in Eugenie Her Journeys into Perversion by Jess Franco. It is a beautifully European-looking film, and I think you can tell it has a certain homage to surrealism, which may come from the fact that the director was Czech. Essentially, the film is the story of Cinderella and Snow White merged together, and so it's all the most perverse and most elegant uh, examples of the events that take place in those. And I say the most perverse and elegant because there are grim examples. For example, we don't get in the disney version versions of a lot of these films the 
gory scenes, which you do get in this film when the stepsisters, for example, cut the backs of their feet off to get their shoes on. This we do see in this film, but it's not a gory film. It's not a violent film. It's a film that revels in its um, absurdism. It's got amazing witches, amazing wenches. It's got a lot of animals with crowns on. And there is a lot of interaction with animals and furries and that kind of wildlife sex, if you like, with a very naive kind of innocence and strangeness. So you see women with snakes crawling all over their bodies and all the snakes have little crowns on their heads. But it's not a, use, a phallic use of a snake. So, And the, the relationship between um, the bear and Snow White is quite uh, formidable and quite funny. Everybody's sexuality in this film has got its own special direction and a lot of the time everyone's scared of everyone else because uh, they're all a bit too randy. It is certainly an eyebrow-raising film and I think that um, if one takes it as it's meant to be, which is in a jubilant, naive kind of way, even the sexuality becomes quite innocent and quite playful. The one thing that I found a little bit iffy about the film, it's a West German film and the ugly stepsisters, obviously because it's meant to be titillating, they can't be ugly, but they have been made with the assistance of very dark wigs and very dark eyebrows to be very, very Southern Italian looking. And so there is certainly a sense in this film that the Aryan um, is the beauty according to this kind of ideology from the South of Europe. And I thought that, that, you know, that gave a little tinge of iffiness about the film. Um, the only reason I can imagine that the film was attempted to be put on the list is because it does really take, you know, things that should be sacred and that have been disnified and it um, shows them for what they are, which is perverse explorations of burgeoning sexuality in iconic young figures. It doesn't actually go that far from the fairy tales themselves. So I think that its adherence to the perversion in fairy tales is possibly a reminder of the original nature of fairy tales before the disnification of them. Perhaps that is what is um, the thing that we find quite difficult to deal with, not simply the issuing of sexuality from what is meant to be for the realm of children, but the fact that already these children's stories were quite perverse in themselves. Once upon a time, there was a magical kingdom. A land of fertile fields. And dark forests. And everyone was busy all the time. It was here that two brothers came one day with their fortune to seek adventure and it was here that lived Snow White, Cinderella, and Sleeping Beauty. You know all about these lovely maidens, or do you? Now it can be told. The true story. Where men were men, and women were women. But they found the wicked queen the evil stepsisters, a nice old devil, and the blue witch. Grimm's fairy tales for adults. And welcome back, ladies and gents. So, you just heard the trailer, hopefully, for the new adventures of Snow White, aka Grimm's fairy tales for adults. This one is directed by Rolf Thiele, or Thiele, 
Ah, who cares? Um, <laughs> I love this though. Uh, based on uh, the the story by Rolf Dilly and Peter Lari, who has in brackets on IMDb as having the idea for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I well, had an idea. Yeah. Snow White is a porno. Okay, what, what, what about Snow White bar tits are out? Uh, option that, <laughs> option that. Um, and it's based on Jacob Grimm's fairy tale. I'm sure he's not fucking rotisserie chickening in his grave right now, like spinning right round <laughs> at the idea of that. Uh, the movie stars a lot of Germans. Uh, Norbert Gastel, Wolfgang Hess, Thomas Piper, Mugens van Gouden, um, Roswith Burkle, Evelyn Dutry, Gabby Fuchs, Walter Giller, Milo, you've got a hard name to pronounce, so let's skip past that. In fact, let's just skip past all of them. Yeah. Lots of umlautens, I bet. Yes, yes, tons of them. Um, <laughs> those look like nipples from a distance, Mark. Um, <laughs> you just got boobs on the brain after watching this. I, like, I watched this movie like three weeks ago, and then um, I decided I wasn't going to rewatch for this recording. So, uh, yeah. Uh, the characters from the classic Grimm's fairy tales, Mother Goose, etc., engage in activities. Uh, the Grimm brothers probably wouldn't approve of. Yes, yes, that's an accurate statement. That's, that's it. Um, Mark, 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 Mark. Um, occasionally we we get the, the the privilege and pleasure of doing a Friday the Thirteenth, right? And then other times we have to watch this middling shit. Um, <laughs> I, like, I can't stress how disappointed I was overall with this movie because. If it, I don't know, if it had like the kind of tongue-in-cheek kind of Benny Hill music, you know, in the background or something, to like if, it, if this was done as a kind of campy sex comedy, I'm down to clown on that, right? Either that, just make it a porno. You know what I mean? What, what actually is that? Like, it doesn't exist in any of those spheres. I can't imagine this is a titillating movie to anyone. Even at the time, you can get... No. You know what I mean? So no. I, don't, I don't understand the purpose that a movie like this serves. So. I have no fucking idea. I, I bet they had some investor money that they had to spend in a big hurry. They spent most of it on cocaine, and they, they made whatever the hell this is. Uh, the, the, the Benny Hill comparison, I think, is apt. That's, that's what I was thinking, too. I was like, they are really trying to go for, like, a farcical kind of goofy sex comedy thing, and it's... It's painfully unfunny. Yeah. It's not it's not really very titillating. I mean, there there's lots of nudity in this, but like it's not nothing in this is remotely fucking sexy. In fact, a lot of it's gross and creepy and like some of the female characters like Snow White spend a lot of the movie like trying not to get raped by all the fucking characters oh, in yeah. this movie. Yep. And it's passed off as goofy and yeah, in 2022 eyes it's like what the fuck were they thinking? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't. I, I had heard of this movie. I, I think another title of this is The Erotic Adventures of Snow White in the yes, States, yes. maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. I, I had heard about this. I bring this book up all the fucking time on the show, seemingly. Uh, the Golden Turkey Awards was a book that I had <laughs> in the, the pre internet days, which is the book of the worst movies ever made. And this is definitely gets a fucking mention in there. So mm. I had to heard of this. And. Yeah, everybody describes this as like a as like a softcore porn movie. And I was like, well, it's full of nudity, but it's not really a porn movie. 
it's it is really trying to go it's trying really hard to do the goofy sex copy thing and i think yeah. fails miserably at it yeah um and that's in itself is um uh, it's not like a i was gonna say it's a difficult thing to do it's not this it's all about tone i think it's tone more than anything um, yeah. and this movie i think struggles with tone like is is kind of wanting to do the fairy like Grimm's fairy tales are dark. Dark. Yeah, like but by, by their nature, they're they're dark morality stories. Um, you know, they're they're kind of updated parables for for like a, a generation of non church scores. Um, so you you're you're taking that aspect over and you're trying to like make them campy and fun, but but like I say, by their nature, like th- those things can be seen as being like relatively like weird in an uncomfortable way if not handled correctly and i just i think there's a, a lack of of tone management in the movie overall you're right i mean it doesn't help that there's like an abundance of of kind of rapiness all the way through this movie which and and it's not even just like well through 2022 eyes i can see that you know like no 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 like it's evident throughout the movie all the way through it that things are like i i uh, read a story online that said that i think the the actress that actually plays um our kind of our snow white character um like she didn't realize that she was going to be playing it mostly topless all the way through so like like that hadn't been told her uh, but she still did it because she had done movies of that ilk but i think she saw this as a vehicle for something else if you know what i mean like i think she thought this was an, a step up um and then realized that no actually it was probably like a step down and that kind of another skin movie. Yeah, like like what she had done in the past, but I think she kind of expected the way it had been sold to her was just maybe something a bit better than what she ultimately ended up with. And I, like I say, I kind of feel, I kind of feel like on some level there there is a way. Not that I'm advocating people should make movies like this, but um, each to their own. There is a way to do this where I think it lands better. It's maybe more fondly remembered. Um, and you know, like I think about, like I think about um, other movies that handle things in kind of campy ways, where they're clearly um, kind of they're clearly either softcore porn or like porn themselves, and how they are, you know, how they're perceived by audiences in a way where they generate conversation or you know. Like, I remember when I was, what, I would have been maybe 15, I think, when the first time that I saw uh, Beneath the Valley of the Ultra Vixens, which is like a, I think that was 1980, probably well wrong, that's like a Russ Meyer movie. Um, right. And, you know, like, that's one of those ones, by the way, that uh, Roger Ebert uh, was involved in writing. <laughs> so. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. And that one is, you know, that one has, you know, it's a plenty of titillation and softcore porn and wink, wink, nudge, nudge and all the rest. Um, but it's handled in such a way that the comedy shines through in it. It's overtly campy. It's very comedic. And I mean, it has a story and the story's okay. But that's not why people were going to see it, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. And I look and I'd like, I have like very strong, vivid memories of being a 15 year old and watching that. And... 
Like, I was kind of thinking, if I transpose myself to being 15 around, you know, like, 20 years after this movie came out as a comparison, um, and sitting down and watching this movie, I wouldn't have any fond memories of it. Like, at all, in a kind of campy, or like, <laughs> no. you know, that way where I'm like, oh, yeah, this bit's really, really funny, or I can't believe they did this on camera. It's just, a, it's just it was just a, at times, a very tedious, remarkably unsexy, um, and just overall kind of uncomfortable little watch where I just kind of like at the end of it I just, like I, I wasn't sure like if I wanted to go and like watch a comedy or go and have a shower you know it just I, like, I didn't feel and not in a way where it's like oh you know it's like it's so it's so disgusting and got under my skin like it's nothing like that no, it's, it's unintentionally like that yeah yeah it, it just wasn't it, like this is the epitome of you know and the thing that caught me in a funny way is that this movie here, so this is tier three um, on the video nasties list, but I can kind of see, and I'm not advocating for censorship at all, even in the slightest form, but I could kind of see why if you were a censor in the UK and, like, remember the video nasties list is, is kind of born out of videos being freely available to rent from you know shops uh, without certification right so i could kind of see why someone might be like that a kid shouldn't be seeing this <laughs> like, yeah you know, that's, like, that's fair i can kind of see that but on that level that's about as far like i can't imagine anyone was like that if the kids see this they'll be out a raping you know what I mean? I like whereas you know, like that to me feels like like a very very silly argument. Whereas like I can see someone trying to make an equally silly argument, but with more kind of academic prowess, saying like that. Well, this mo- this movie shows you know murder uh, and, and and set up in a graphic fashion that kids might see uh, and it might trouble them afterwards. I just this whole thing just felt. Just this, this is the epitome of these things that are on the list. I am like that. I never, I'd never heard of it. I know anything about it, and there, it's almost as if there was a reason behind that. It's a complete waste of time for me to watch. Um, and yeah, that's really all I have to to say about it. It's just like the whole way through. I was like, if I'm supposed to be aroused, it's not doing its job. If I'm supposed to find it campy and fun it's not doing its job and if it's supposed to be like like a dark morality tale or something you know like weird and you know trippy and surreal and all these things it failed on that so i'm not sure what this movie is supposed to be but i'm fairly sure it's a failure so that's my thoughts i think it's like i i I was just thinking back to like uh like the mid 90s when when sex comedies were huge again they kind of come and go because i mean in the 80s and stuff we had stuff like porkies and a bunch of bunch of bunch of horn dog you know boner comedies basically Mm -hmm. um they 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 have to walk a really fine line and this this one does the same thing too where in it's way too stupid for adults like adults are gonna hate this and not be turned on by this and you don't want like children children watching this because obviously it's like you know grossly inappropriate for like a you know way younger viewer so really you're aiming for that like 15 to 18 like you're you're too young to go in the 
in the the fucking room at the video store with the beads over it that says adults only he can't can't go what rent like a real porno movie so you gotta settle for something like this kind of and like that, that that's about it like that that's your target audience and it's a really narrow one especially once the bbfc got wind of it and was like nah yank this one uh yeah, pardon the pardon the phrase um uh <laughs> trying not yeah, yanking anything on the show yeah no, nobody nobody's yanking anything to this fucking movie i'll tell you that uh and yeah it, just in general i think sex comedies are a difficult thing because uh as a society i think our perceptions and the way we think about sex moves really fast and maybe like this movie wasn't you know they didn't realize at the time how rapey and weird and fucked up this movie kind of is but definitely you know 40 50 however many years later we fucking certainly do so like when you make a movie like this you're kind of setting yourself up for it's going to age like fucking milk and uh a lot of a lot of this you know a lot of the stuff from the 80s and a lot of stuff from the 90s is the same exact way we go back and watch something like euro trip now or you know stuff like that and it's just rife with you know sexism and homophobia and just all kinds of shit that's just aged horribly and uh yeah this this movie's no exception there there is one scene that i was like really surprised by i don't remember who the fucking character is exactly <laughs> but at some point there's a basement full of like severed body parts and yeah. dead fucking shit like that's like an insane scene of violence that just comes out of nowhere and then like I don't remember if it does and i just watched this fucking last night and i don't remember anything much else after that i was just like whoa what the hell is this doing in a boner comedy uh, uh, i don't know like i for a second i thought maybe this is how this landed on the list but then i was like this comes like 40 minutes into the movie the, yeah. the censors didn't even make it like five minutes into this movie they probably saw the title and were like not nah, it get yeah, rid of it i i think i think like any, I, I, I'd be very surprised. I've not heard the, the intro to this, and usually when it comes to these sorts of movies, they do get an academic in. So, um, so it'll be interesting to hear if there is an academic that speaks specifically on this one. But I imagine just the name of the movie, you know, it's like you're you're not that long into kind of after the credit sequence and its tits, and you know, it's probably that was probably enough. Um, no. So, but like uh, on the same time, there's nothing in here so graphically sexual or violent to promote it to like a, a list of mo- like the tier one or the tier two. And no, this is there's no last house on the left. It exists in a weird bubble of this is what I'm saying. It's like it's just a, a nothing movie to me. Like watching it, it was just a nothing movie. I, like it, 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 it didn't. It didn't. I was gonna say it didn't register on me. Um, that means my dick didn't get hard. Um, but like, it didn't. It like, didn't do anything for me at all when I was watching it, except draw we one and a half hours of my precious life, uh, <laughs> which you know, like, yes. I'll, I'll never get back. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about uh, how we would um, assign a grade to this one for the listeners out there listening to the show for the first time. We don't grade them like you would usually hear other shows grade. We have a bit of fun with it. Uh, we have a grading set on kind of um, sentencing terms. So um, if it's a really bad movie, uh, a la the aforementioned Last House on the Left, then it would get some good old-fashioned hard fucking time right if it's a movie which is kind of edging 
that's a bad word to use for this movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, if it's tiptoeing, that's better. Uh, t- towards being of incredibly disturbing content, then we're going to give it some community service. If it's a movie that is is playing footloose and fancy free with the content that's shown you, whilst still remaining relatively wholesome then we would give it a little bit of a slap on the wrist and if there ain't nothing in this bitch apart from some paranoid old fuckers going it's gonna destroy the world and dogs um then yeah it gets a case dismissed uh mark what are you gonna give our uh, our grim's fairy tales for adults so this this one's getting a special one. Basically, I'm giving this a slap on the wrist just because kids probably don't need to be watching this. And with yeah. a title like Snow White, I mean, it's got the Disney association a little bit. Uh, what, I, what I'm doing with this one, I'm not prosecuting this. I'm going to very carefully pick it up off the shelf and walk it to the fucking room with the beads on the door and put it on the shelf <laughs> next to Deep Throat and Debbie Does Dallas where nobody will ever fucking watch it because they have Deep Throat and Debbie Does Dallas and a yeah. million other porn movies right next to it. A couple, a couple of those Emmanuel movies, if you know what I mean. Yes. Yep. Those two. Yep. Um, yeah, I think this, I mean, uh, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of kind of implied rape <laughs> or rape threat uh, throughout the movie. To me, this is a, a, a very much a kind of a slap on the wrists. I don't think this is uh you know like uh, anything above that and I, I don't think i could dismiss it either just because of the sexual content and why the list was originally created uh, very much like yourself this should not just been like a you could just get this from you know your local store this should have been a you know like you like you need to be a pervert <laughs> like you walk in here <laughs> pantless wearing an over jacket um, and, and that should that should be it uh, right we're going to take a short break we're going to talk about arguably one of the most important slasher movies ever fucking made um, but not in the way that most podcasts do because they do a lot more with that than we do and we're only spending a small amount of time contextualising through the eye of the nasties uh, you're going to hear learning people speak about Friday the 13th you're then going to hear the trailer which I know does exist for this movie uh, counts up the murders um, and then when we return myself and Mark are discussing Friday the 13th from 1980 right after this the 18th highest grossing movie of 1980 was Long Night at Camp Blood or to give it its retitled name Friday the 13th here it is on Warner Home Video in its complete uncut version this version wasn't seen in America until years later. Of course, there was a lot of differences in the original script, and it was Josh Voorhees for a start, even though Mrs Voorhees, played by Betsy Palmer, was still the killer. Her role was offered to Estelle Parsons originally, but Estelle turned it down. Um, and Sally Field was originally going to play the part of Alice too, but it did feature Kevin Bacon in his debut feature. Written by Victor Miller, who turned Kojak scripts into paperback novels, we all know where the real inspiration for Friday the 13th came from. It was Mario Barber's Bay of Blood. This was a film that played in a double bill to Sean Cunningham's Last House on the Left. Cunningham obviously took note of the body count script and decided to do one himself. He's admitted this freely, so we all know that that's where it comes from. Betsy Palmer didn't actually do any of the murders in the movie. That was Tazo Stavrakis, Tom Savini's assistant. In fact, you can see his hairy arms in a lot of the scenes when they're actually doing the throat sitting, so it can't have been a woman at all. This was quite a controversial movie at the time because Paramount, who released it in America, it was an unusual film for them to do. 
Um, they were looking at exploitation movies, making an absolute fortune like Halloween, and they thought, we want a piece of this pie. So they picked up this very, very low-budget movie and promoted it to death. It was a major studio doing this, and they made $40 million on the first release of this film. A lot of people actually wrote to Charles Bloodhorn, the owner of Paramount Pictures, and said, what are you doing? You can't release this. But of course, money talks in Hollywood as it always does, which is why it went on to become possibly the most successful franchise of all time. The film was re-released in a cut version, but also you've got to remember that another inspiration for the film came from Brian De Palma's Carrie, that so influenced the ending, where Jason Voorhees leaps out of the water onto the boat. Didn't matter. It became one of the most keynote images of the series and led to Jason Voorhees becoming the lead character in every successive sequel. Hello? Who's that? Oh, hi. What are you doing out in this mess? One. So you've just heard the trailer for Friday the 13th from 1980. This is directed by Sean S. Cunningham. No stranger to the old uh, tier one list. Because uh, he was uh, he was behind the production of Last House on the Left. <laughs> which is one of the really fucking bad ones. <laughs> yeah. uh, so he's the like my favourite story about um, his involvement with Last House on the Left is that... Uh, when they were trying to get it like rated by the MPAA in the states, the uh, like they couldn't get a version of it which was like a like an X certificate or anything over there. And you know they just wouldn't touch it. Um, so Cunningham re- ran down the hall uh, to another movie that had been signed off with like an X rating, 
and then just cut that out and brought it in and said that he'd given it and then <laughs> he gave it his own up. rating pretty much yeah he just forged it um <laughs> which is pretty much all you need to know about sean s cunningham um it's based on the the characters created by victor miller now if you are anyone of any interest in horror at all uh, oh, you know God. That, that's that saga i think has finally come to an end uh, last month. I, I think so yeah victor miller i think now owns the rights to the idea and maybe the name friday the 13th I but so, it's yeah. it's a big convoluted complicated fucking thing yeah and as a result a lot of people out there have been like oh you know they need to just settle it and make another friday the 13th movie and i'm like listen let's just let it just settle for a while i mean you can come back with it whenever it's a timeless story um, and sometimes rushing things means evil dies tonight, Mark. Evil <laughs> dies tonight. Um, oh, thanks for reminding me about that. Yep, uh, right. <laughs> Ron Curtis is also uncredited as a writer for this one. The movie stars Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, Janine Taylor, Robbie Morgan, Kevin motherfucking Bacon, uh, Harry Crosby, Mark Nelson, Peter Brewer, uh, Brewer. Uh, Rex Everhart, uh, Ron Carroll, Waltz Gorney, who plays <laughs> Crazy Ralph, uh, and a bunch of other fresh faced, big time camp counselors, male and female. <laughs> the ball with tits in this movie. So much tits. Um, the synopsis for this one is a group of camp counselors trying to reopen a summer camp called Crystal Lake, which is a grim past. Uh, are stopped by a mysterious killer. Now, like I say, like, we're going to work on the premise here that you have seen Friday the 13th before and or listened to someone speak about Friday the 13th before. I've spoken about this movie, like, maybe about, like, in terms of reviewing and, like, format podcasts out there, either podcasts under the stairs or guest appearances, about ten times. So, I'd like, I have no real... I'm no real enthusiasm to review it that way. So instead, what I thought might be fun, Mark, is actually just to talk about Friday the 13th in terms of, like, it getting on this list. So Halloween didn't... Halloween wasn't on the video nasty list, right? So it's one of these ones where it's clearly just a little bit classy, Mark. Um, and this is not classy by their standards. If anything, if anything, what this is, is you know like someone trying to because it is like when you watch it like it's it's difficult to and this is where people take a shot and your duncan catchphrase bingo i mean if halloween is a kind of kind of cautionary like murder mystery whodunit sort of thing right um with a kind of supernatural bent Friday the 13th is basically like an American Jallo. That's the difference. It's like people are always out there saying, well, without Halloween, you wouldn't have Friday the 13th. That is true, but they're not alike. I mean, like in any yeah. shape well, or and you, form. You wouldn't have Friday the 13th without Bay of Blood. 100%, which now you're, now you're talking my language. Now you're speaking a little bit Mario Bava. You're speaking almost a decade before. Um, yeah. This is I, old hat to Europeans at this point, but I yeah. think this is pretty fresh for American audiences. Yeah, so these are directors who have seen Twitch of the Death Nerve, as it was known in the in the states. Um, which, by the way, Bay of Blood, it was on, it was on, the, it was on the nasty list. So, um, but this is this is directors seeing that and getting inspired 
to do things out and out taking deaths from like that movie and kind of inputting it into this movie but you're getting a kind of update of that but very much like how Jallos are to an extent like directors ebbing Hitchcock so Hitchcock's doing the American way of the kind of murder mystery thriller and then the Italians are putting their spin on it making it a bit gnarlier making it much more you know like visually stunning like more elaborate scores more elaborate deaths and starting to add a bit of horror to it this is America copying that so it's like it's the snake eating its own tail but by the time we get to the the kind of 80s and they're now copying the Italians already you know kind of gnarlier version it's now a gnarlier gnarlier version and that's what you get here so the kills are brutal um you know by the standards of what you were getting at the time uh, we are playing fully into those kind of these kind of new ideas of the kind of archetypes of the stereotype characters you've got you know the, the, the you know the bimbo the jock the stoner you're getting all these things are starting to find a place in here and essentially what you're getting in friday the 13th is a template a very repeatable template of this is what we're going to have ruling the roost for the next four years in horror cinema just get used to it <laughs> like like you may as well strap yourself in because the amount of clones that are going to come out in a rapid succession after the Friday the 13th, including Friday the 13th movies, um, is is scary. And a lot of it comes down to setting a, a real idea. And that's why there's so many slashers. Or, I mean, there's so many slashers on the video and list because the time the list was made is the heyday of the slasher. But also, you have, like, if a Jallo is Black Glove Killer, you know... Uh, someone seeing something, some visitor to Italy seeing something that they can't quite remember and thus being thrust into the case to solve a murder um, and, you know, J&B in the background and a ritzy score and, you know, people with money and affluence and all the rest. If that's the the kind of tropes of the, the jello, the tropes of the slasher are, you know, POV for the killer gruesome as fuck practical effect deaths that you will get gnarlier and gnarlier a bunch of innocent teens uh, generally a bunch of innocent teens and if they fuck they're dead and yeah they do drugs they're dead they do drugs they're dead and you slap on a title to do with some sort of ominous sort of day or some sort of celebrity day uh, and that's you you can like you can guess what mark you can make your own slasher um and this is like in a lot of respects like I the thing I always for, I always remember it's not that I forget that the first one is like a different killer that is clearly obvious but I forget that the first one goes as vicious as it actually does with the death like the Kevin Bacon death is still to me I imagine I can't imagine being in the cinema and we're going to go and see the new, this new Paramount horror movie. Ooh, I'm going to take my girlfriend with me. And sitting there and seeing an arrowhead poke through someone's neck. And that effect holds the fuck up, man. Oh, yeah. yeah the, the best thing this movie did for itself was to get Tom Savini. Like, yes. And he's like, you know, n- new enough on the scene that, like, uh, you know people wouldn't have known like what to expect even if you you know tom savini's name was on the fucking poster or whatever but 
he was uh, far enough along in his talent of pulling this stuff off that like it looks it still looks incredible to this day yeah um did you watch did you re rewatch this for for this recording or have you seen it <laughs> yes. enough times that you're like no, of, course, of course i watched that <laughs> so i watched i on that big box set that scream factory put out like last year or the year before or whatever the, the the version of part one comes with both the unrated and the rated versions of this movie yeah and I, i'm pretty sure i'd seen both but i didn't remember like there being a whole huge lot of difference so i watched the unrated version and I, I i didn't really there wasn't anything really that stood out to me that like i, I don't remember this is the r-rated version so i looked it up and they're about 10 seconds difference between the two like all of the kills are still intact they really the only difference is they all play like a couple seconds longer basically yeah. like it holds on the shot for longer and i don't know which is more effective like they're, they're both like the effects are so good in this that like you don't need to like linger on them in like a fulci kind of way yeah uh but like uh sometimes it almost i think it makes it more brutal like when it like you know it does something really crazy violent and then like immediately gets away from it and goes to something else it kind of lets your brain fill in the gaps and like you don't you don't have enough time to really like focus on it and it kind of just bitch slaps you in the audience basically yeah. um but yeah I, I had intended to watch both versions but then i looked it up and i was like oh they're only like 10 second amount of difference so that's kind of pointless but um yeah man the fucking yeah this that that is like really the big difference between this and halloween i mean they're both like pretty they're both similar in tone they're both again kind of aiming for that like 15 to 18 year old like taking your girlfriend to the movies kind of crowd but we're both humongous fucking successes oh god yeah this movie cost about half a million to make and would go on to make like and it's you know it's run in cinemas um 40 million (laughs) which like that's fucking nuts you know what i mean that is nuts um i mean to to put that in perspective nowadays you'd be talking about you know with interest and all the rest this movie would have cracked comfortably over a hundred million which is just insane on a teeny tiny little budget that's that's i think the other reason that there's 50 billion halloween clones and friday the 13th clones is because these movies were dirt cheap to make Mm -hmm. and probably yeah like real short shooting short shooting schedule yeah uh like just just a breeze to get through so people could crank these things out fucking left and right and, you know most of them i think a lot of them turned a profit even like stuff that went direct to video or whatever like vhs was fucking great for these kind of movies yeah. because like you could make you could make this cheap maybe piece of shit movie but like as long as you got a cool cover that's like kind of riffing on stuff that like people are already familiar with like friday the 13th and halloween and stuff you got it in the bag people yeah. are gonna fucking rent it like left and right probably and it, yeah it's that 15 to 18 year old kind of demographic that just ate this shit up in the 80s yeah i, I mean you mentioned before the this is one of these ones where savini still a relatively like new name interestingly enough at the same time same year making this he's making maniac which just like that dude oh, yeah, like, had, same. yeah yeah it's just fucking like that that back to back and two completely different feeling movies as well with bitching special effects but was hired because the producers of the movie sean s kind of etc um 
like adored Dawn of the Dead. Um, yeah. And we're like, we need to get like look at the effect. And no wonder that's another movie that we're watching. You're just kind of you know, like blown away by what they were achieving on how little they had. Uh, and he's brought over here, and you can see that his technique is a bit more refined. You can see that he's he's starting to grow in confidence as a special effects, um, you know, uh, coordinator. And then you watch it, and it's just. It's like all the kills are brilliant. I'd like I I I absolutely love them. And then you get the, like I say the quirky characters. We're starting to we're starting to set out the 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 archetypes of what you expect from these movies. And then yeah, this is another one which you know comes kind of post well it's post carry. So we need that stinger at the end. And the stinger at the end, which I still to this day no one was thinking you know we're gonna ride a like 10 movies <laughs> 10 movies based off that kid at yeah, the end, yeah no one was thinking that but you like you see money talks and when the money's there the studio's gonna go right like um i know like even even to the point where you're like you've said this one's the final one or the final chapter maybe we could do another um money talks in these things and that's that's certainly what you get here in fact you've got that you've got john carpenter what was that last week um when he was asked uh did he think that Halloween ends would be the end the last movie uh, that you know bore the name of Halloween and John Carpenter said if it made money there'll be another um, and he's like he's just like he's saying what we all know uh, yeah. but for whatever reason we naively take the you know, the names of these movies uh, sometimes super serious um, so yeah this is great I also think as well it, it kind of set the American and it's a kind of once again it's a riff on what they did in Italy and uh, the in the Jallos, the Italian Jallo movies, what you tended to have is a bigger named actor who would be the one who would have to hunt down the killer. So it would always be like a, it would always be some non-Italian who was trying, you know, like like David Emmings for example, and like a, a Deep Red or whatnot. And um, you would always have that that one actor who'd be like oh this is still this is for the foreign market and all the rest and like slasher started to slasher's got really 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 good at casting really young fresh-faced actors and actresses trying to get their first break and there is a abnormal amount of what we would then go on to class as a-class hollywood actors that were in some of these <laughs> some of these movies that they either like have since come to appreciate and embrace or have tried to bury <laughs> like very 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 quickly and bacon's yeah. great now like you watch kevin bacon in this there's no way anyone's watching him in this and not thinking he's going to be a fucking huge star he's great no no yeah it was uh, sometimes that happened accidentally a lot but like uh yeah and this one it like you're you're I don't know if I'd really call her A-list, but like your more established actor is, is Betsy Palmer. Well, this who doesn't is you can get away like... with that as well. They did the opposite thing in Hollywood. What they did was they managed to start getting, and to be honest, this was riding off the back of Halloween when you can land Donald Pleasance. Yeah, who's made a hundred fucking movies prior to this yeah, already. Who's maybe, this who's... was kind of slumming it for him, like I yeah. think a little bit at the time. Yeah, I think it's it's when is that thing where they, they cover it really really well in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where like Leonardo DiCaprio's character, who was this big star, has to go and work in Italy for a couple of you know like a, a yeah. year or two and make a million movies, become very successful over there, and then guess what? All of a sudden, he's stuck in Hollywood 
raises again and then comes back. There was that period where there's just a lot of actors and actresses, like classically trained actors and actresses, who were, like you said, like like gems and darlings of the of the silver screen in the 50s or 60s. Maybe work's starting to dry up. Oh, guess what? There's that you know, there's a ton of these slasher movies where we don't have to do too much, we don't have to see too much, and we join in. We don't actually really know what the movie's about. Uh, but we'll be in, like, I think, like, Betsy Palmer, like, very famously said that she still, like, she, like, she didn't understand even, like, why there was maybe, I think, like, why there was so many installments of this movie after her death. Like, well, I'm the killer, I'm dead. Why are they still making these movies? Like, my dead son's killing them? Well, that doesn't make any sense. He wears a sack on his head and now a hockey mask? That doesn't make sense. Like, they didn't have to know, but you could get them relatively reasonably. And it added clout. It's a big name on your, your marquee. Um, and then the fact that they make Betsy Palmer the killer in this as well. Uh, one is completely implausible because she throws a man through a window. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking Hulk. Uh, but, you know, like, but the, the, the rest, you know, just... It, it adds that because it's the, the the last thing you would expect as the audience member is the kind of frail old woman um, who's walking about the park. It's, it's just I, I think it is is such surprisingly at times it's such a trashy movie, but it's such a clever movie as well, and it's such an influential movie. Without this movie on this list here, even as a tier three title, there is about thirty percent of the actual tier one and tier two list that don't exist like at all in any way shape or form that are just essentially clones of this movie but they ramp up the gore because that's what you do when you're not the original movie you have to keep making it more gory more violent and all the rest and push those boundaries so yeah it's right. just, it just cool coming back to watch this man it's, it, I would love to say it's been years since I watched this that's a lie. Um, I think it's you know, about once a year I watch watch the whole series. Yeah, I, th- I think I'd seen this within six months um, of watching this uh, for for this viewing through. But it's a, I, like it's I know like there's 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 no stress involved in shoving on Friday the Thirteenth. It's like totally you put on, have a few beers, get some popcorn. It's a good time. Yeah, they're all short too. They're all like within you know around ninety minutes or so. Yeah, well here you go. This movie is a about the same length as the other movie that we watched for this week. Oh. This one, <laughs> this one, fucking flew in, and the other one yep. felt like it went on forever. Yep, exactly. There you go, uh, Mark Ball. This could be interesting. Um, what grade do you give Friday the Thirteenth? So this one's tricky because you have to put, yeah, like like you said, you have to put yourself in the position of somebody that watched this for the first time in 1980 when like yeah. nothing. This was, you know, to to European standards, this was probably kind of old hat and they'd seen stuff, but like to an the average American audience, this was like pretty fucking out there and pretty groundbreaking for its time. So mm-hmm. like I'm sure I'm sure it freaked audiences out, uh, but. Also, like, I, I don't know, you look kind of a little further back on the video nasty list and like there are you have to think about like the filmmakers intentions kind of. I don't think with this one, they really set out to make like the most brutal fucked up movie that they possibly could because mm-hmm. I mean, Cunningham had already worked on Last House on the Left. That still fucking stands up as one of the gnarliest movies I think ever fucking made. 
I, I think their intent for this was to make like a fun, spooky, you know, fairly scary movie for the 15 to 18 demographic. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't, I don't think like, uh, I don't think they expected it to have as big of an effect as it did and to like freak people out as much as, as much as, which I mean, I, you know, probably seeing like Tom Savini's effects on set like and you know seeing the guy work i mean he's he's a he's a he's a total ham he's he's a big teddy bear he's a total clown mm -hmm. i bet this movie was a lot of fun like making but then you get it up on the screen and like yeah, i don't know i don't think audiences knew what fucking hit him when this thing like actually came out um so i mean i, I at least gotta give this like a slap on the wrist because yeah it's you know it, it comes it comes out swinging like within the first five minutes there's like oh, a yeah. gnarly like dude gets stabbed in the fucking belly and his guts are fucking like coming out and like yeah it, it doesn't go more than you know 10 or 15 minutes at the most without like another super gnarly kill and like still has some of the most notorious like kills and uh, maybe not notorious but some of the most iconic i would say like the arrow through the throat is like yeah that, that's what everybody fucking talks about and like the, the decapitation at the end betsy palmer too is like pretty iconic i'd say so i mean i'm gonna meet him like halfway in the middle by today's standards this thing is pretty tame but like by 1980 standards i bet this was pretty shocking so I, i'm gonna give us a slap on the wrist i'm with you on that one i think um con contextually the the movies that are above this i.e on the tier one and tier two for the most part in the slasher realm are like very violent like super violent versions of this so to me as an originator of that i, I, I kind of is pushing it's, it's pushing some buttons but it's not it's not nearly as graphic as um as all of them and also there is like there's a there's a good story here i like that story i think like sometimes slashers like jallos uh, the longer they went on, the shittier the story. Like, we, like, really any excuse to get anything to happen to you. I like the mystery that's involved here. But the deaths are great. And they hold up really, really, really well. So it's a slap on the wrists from me as well. Ladies and gents, we're going to take our final break. You're going to hear promos for shows that we love. And when we return, we are closing it out and letting you know where we're going on the next episode right after this. This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, legionpodcasts.com. The Psychosemantic Podcast. And you have been listening to Doing the Nasty Podcast. This has been Season 2, Episode number 27 with a review of The New Adventures of Snow White and Friday the 13th. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, we have another episode coming real soon. And in this episode, it will be a slasher, which came a year later, which I'm going to say right now, hugely influenced by Friday the 13th. A little slasher <coughs> called Final Exam, uh, directed by Jimmy Houston. Um, it's been a wee while since I watched this. I remember it being just very much over the top and kind of nonsense. So I'm kind of looking forward to doing that. Uh, have you seen it before, Mark? 
I'm trying to remember if I have. I kind of give like this one and um, what's the what's the other school one that we watched? Graduation well, day. Graduation day and happy birthday to me and all all these movies kind of blend together in my head. So I can't remember if I, I'm pretty sure I've seen this, but I don't remember much about it. So this this will be a pretty fresh watch. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll be doubling it up with um, arguably one of the most important horror movies ever fucking made. We'll be doing Night of the Living Dead from 1968. Oh. A little George A. Romero action for you. Um, very much looking forward to doing this. The fact that this was even on any fucking list is criminal. It's got to be one of the oldest movies on the fucking any of the nasty lists, I would think. Yeah, well, it's Maybe. a year, like, well, to put things once again into context, this this was made the year, well, came out the year before our uh, Snow White erotic thing. So. <laughs> so. Oh, man. So there you go. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's our next episode. It's Final Exam from 1981 and Night of the Living Day from 1968. Uh, Mark, where can people interact with you, check out your stuff, and do all that good shit? Uh, usually the best place to find me is around the Twitter. That's at the Fancy Mark. Like I said, I've got some music coming out here very soon, a full-length full, full length album that will probably be on Bandcamp and the usual digital places. I, I've even entertained the idea of doing like a physical release of it or anything, but uh yeah if, if you find, i haven't i haven't got any of that stuff set up yet i've been focusing on trying to get this goddamn album done like in a, a timely fashion i've already kind of blown off one of my deadlines for it so uh, i'm hoping by my birthday which is may 5th the album will be done and out and uh ready to be consumed by the masses it's it's real it's real weird uh i i've gone i think about six years without releasing any fucking music at all and i kind of almost abandoned it until uh my friend brandon who plays in a lot of local bands and works at our local record store was like hey i've got a solo album coming out that's kind of similar to stuff you've heard in the past Do you want to come play some live shows with me like this summer or just you know little little tiny venues he he's he's, play, he's played in bands for fucking years and years so he knows all kinds of people that like run little tiny baby venues around and i was like uh i've always i've dreamt of this moment for like my entire life but never felt confident enough in the stuff that i was writing or like i'm not really a musician if anything i'm more of a composer just because i like don't really play any instruments except for keyboards terribly well but i can write music like on a computer really well mm -hmm. i'd say so um I don't really know how the live show is going to work exactly. <laughs> I'm, most, I'm mostly trying to focus on like getting the album done. And then, you know, I'll figure out like which elements of that will be live and which will be like basically pre-recorded. I really don't want to do like the DJ thing where it looks like I'm standing up there checking my fucking email on a laptop. Mm. Uh, I want, you know, there to be some live element to it. But uh, yeah, that's that's probably going to be the last last part of the process. I'll probably just like you know remove a few of the tracks and try and recreate them live on my micro corridors you know something along those lines kind of feel but anyway that should be that's it should be done by may 5th I'm, I'm pushing really hard i'm working at least like every other day on the album to get it done uh it's got like i i've moved away from kind of like the edm sounding drums and i intentionally programmed the drums to sound like punk and metal drums mm -hmm. and there's lots of screeching guitar kind of sounds and uh, you know, some wacky shit going on. It, it's, it's got some breaks in it that are like 
I would call deeply psychedelic just because I, I'm really into that shit. I don't know if anybody else is listening to this right now is going to be into <laughs> a lot of this, but that's not why you, you know, you, you do it for yourself. You write yeah. music that you really like. And so far, I really fucking like the stuff I've written. So I'm really excited to get it out there and hear, hear what other people think about it. But uh, yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, I'll, I'll be posting about it, you know, when it's, when it's ready to go there for sure. So that's the best way to find me on, on the online. Nice, ladies and gents. Go for support our friend Mark. We are going to be back. I'm going to say we're going to try and get this episode out before the end of the month, a little Night of the Living Dead and final exam. But if it won't be, it'll be fortly, kind of very shortly followed into the next month. And we will eventually catch up with the schedule. But until then, please take care of yourselves out there. And we will speak to you next time. Goodbye. They were called nasties and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. An extravaganza of gory violence capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen the video, Mr. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film.